0: Podcaster's Guide to the Conspiracy, brought to you today by Josh Addison and Dr. M. Dente. Hello and welcome to the Podcaster's Guide to the Conspiracy. I am Josh Addison in Auckland, New Zealand, and in Zhuhai, China, we have Associate Professor of Philosophy and two-time winner of the Academy Award for Best Cinematography, but not that Academy, a different one. Dr. M. It's true incentive. we don't
1: we don't talk about that academy in fact I was talking to a colleague the other day about the way in which if you capitalize a name like the academy mm. you know it refers to something important and you also usually know what it refers to and the thing is, I won my award from the academy lowercase, an academy you haven't
0: heard of, and that's the way we like mm. it it's pretty obscure. I probably haven't heard of it so. We 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 have a we have a, a grim and depressing topic this week, unfortunately. So possibly, we should we you might tone down the flipness, not completely. I suppose it's a little bit hard to avoid. But
1: well, I mean, the episode is going to end with a very ridiculous conspiracy theory. So there will be light at the end mm. of the tunnel, but the yep, actual should tunnel, tunnel itself right now. is dark dank and dangerous.
0: Hmm. Because of course we're going to be talking about the recent mass shooting in Buffalo, uh, and the conspiracies it has it has it has caused to come to light, and also the conspiracies it was based on in the first place. And I don't think we have anything Which I, saw, I, mean, I suppose we should
1: we should quite say the conspiracy theories here. Because is actually we're not really talking we're not talking about actual conspiracies here. we're talking about the imagined conspiracies of people who think that the white race is under peril. So we're talking about imagined conspiracies or conspiracy theories. No conspiracies are going to come to light in this episode. We're simply going to cast Unlike. the light on some unwarranted conspiracy theories.
0: Mm. But unless you have any other disclaimers, she'll get straight into it. I think we should. So we're recording this on the 19th of May, Um, on the 14th of May, um, an 18-year-old white supremacist terrorist um, shot a bunch of people in Buffalo. Uh, We're not going to be giving you his name for the same reason we didn't name the uh, similar shooter from uh, Christchurch of a few years ago, but he walked into a Topps Friendly Markets store. In Buffalo, in New York, shooting people inside. He, uh, Ten people at, at at the time of recording have died, with three others injured. He was taken in alive. Police came and he stood down and has been taken into custody. So where should we, sh- sh- where should we start? With the conspiracies around the shooting or the cons- conspiracy theories around the shooting or the conspiracy theories behind the shooting?
1: Let's start with the conspiracy theories around the shooting, and then we mm-hmm. can move in to talk about the motivating conspiracy theory which caused the shooting, and then we'll do a relatively deep dive into the manifesto. I was about to say he left behind. He's not dead, so the manifesto he wrote and posted online just prior to the events in question. Because, of course, I was quite interested in the immediate response to the news of the mass shooting in Buffalo, New York, Because people were immediately going, it's our old friend, the false flag.
0: And some of these conspiracy
1: theories actually concern the manifesto itself. So as I said, we're going to do a deep dive into the manifesto proper. But some of the initial conspiracy theories simply remark on what people take to be abnormalities in the manifesto, he wrote. So the manifesto is 180 pages in length. As I'll discuss later on in the episode, most of it is a how-to guide as to how to commit a massacre and what things not to use. But people noted that there are some weird aspects of the manifesto other than the fact it's anti-Semitic and what's a coming race war. So, for example, very early on in the manifesto, he claims to believe, to believe, and this is the strong word, believe he's ethnically white. And some people think that's a really odd thing for a white supremacist to say, to say that he believes he's ethnically white, rather than stating that he is ethnically white.
0: Yes, I mean, is it just just that sort of pedantry where he he isn't one of these white supremacists who's gone and taken a DNA test, so he's pedantic enough to want to leave a disclaimer if it turns out that there is some non-white DNA in his past, but is... As far as he knows, his ancestry is white. Yeah, I don't know. But I mean, so I yes, think, it does I think seem so, to be I a, think there are, yeah,
1: think there are there. two things here. One, he's an engineering student, and you might go, mm, engineering students don't necessarily have the best of written prose. Josh, you have an experience of being an engineering student in the past and now have a job all about prose. Mm. But the other thing to note is his family ancestry from Europe comes from Italy. And if you know anything about white supremacism and white nationalism, there are certain white nationalists who do not think of Italians as being white. So I also think he's doing the, he believes he's ethnically white because he's aware there are members of his community who will deny that claim. And later on in the manifesto, he makes a big deal about being both ethnically white and culturally white. And so I think he tries to slip in his Italianness as being whiteness through links to such glorious things as the
0: Roman Empire and the like. Mm, obviously. So what? Else? So I mean, you talk about weird things in the manifesto. It's, it's, it seems more like minor discrepancies—the sort of things conspiracy theorists do love to pounce on, though.
1: Yes, conspiracy theorists of a certain stripe do like to pounce on these kind of small abnormalities. And another one is, early on in the manifesto, he redacts the location of the event in question in case people read the manifesto before he commits his atrocious crime. Even in the text, asks people to update that section after the fact. But much later on in the manifesto, He gives the zip code for the area, the state that he's going to commit the atrocity in, and the name of the store and the time of the day he's going to attack. So people are going, oh, isn't it weird that he he says he's going to redact this information, but he's left a little
0: bit in towards the end. Mm. Or he forgot that he'd mentioned it twice because it's 180 pages long, and I don't know about you, but I've I've never written a 180-page document might have written one hundred and eighty pages in total in my life, but um, yeah I, I, I don't think I could remember everything that was in there were I to go back I mean
1: I know as someone who has written long texts and has trouble updating even short texts to make sure that mm. I take placeholders out or update placeholders as things go into final production I mean one thing which is which is also interesting he claims he was going to attack the Topps Friendly Market Store in Buffalo, New York, at 4pm. He actually attacked at 2 so he did change his plan after the fact anyway. You might even think that he may have left some of the details in in order to distract people and not make them aware that he was going to perform the attack two hours prior to the state
0: of time. Mm. So I understand the manifesto includes the claim that he will plead guilty assuming he isn't killed by the police, but apparently he's actually pled not guilty.
1: As far as I know, yes, he's pled not guilty to first-degree
0: murder. A, a murky, mysterious phenomenon known only to a select few as changing your mind, I believe. And no one ever does that, job no, which is what makes no. it really unusual. Mm, suspicious. Now, people people have made something of the fact that it copies... Text from the Christchurch Shooters Manifesto. Although, as I believe we're going to talk about later, that that's kind of the point, isn't it? He he based a lot of this stuff directly oh, on he, the
1: Christchurch. Yeah, he, he directly states he is inspired by the Christchurch terrorist, so it is very much a case of taking that person's ideas and going one step further with writing an actual how-to guide. But we'll talk yeah. more about those similarities and dissimilarities later on in the episode.
0: So this does seem a little bit straw-clutchy to try and claim that this manifesto uh, is, it contains enough to make you suspicious that the whole thing's a false flag. I mean, we've, we've said this a million times before. People will just say false flag before they know anything about it at all, and will then try and jump on anything to try and prove it. But um, the, the, the the gun business, he I think he talks about the idea that he's, it's going to inspire Democrats to enact more gun control or something. But some people claim he's too technical about the guns or something. What's the claim there? So the, the manifesto
1: is 180 pages in length. 100 of that 180 pages in length is the how-to guide, of which a significant proportion of that 100 pages is a discussion about why the gun he chose was the wrong gun and better guns were available. And people have noted that it's so technical and so in-depth about particular guns and the advantages of using particular guns over other ones that it almost looks like it's name-checking every gun type and every gun manufacturer such that if you wanted to revise American gun laws, you could use the description in this manifesto as a way of working out which of the bad guns you want to get rid of. Now, of course, this is all resting upon the idea that this mass shooting, amongst all of the many mass shootings that have occurred in America this year alone, let alone the last five years, is going to be the one that finally makes people revise gun laws in the United States of America. So yes, it's no, one thing to go, well, this could be a false flag, but the case of no, every single time people say this is a false flag designed to bring about gun regulation in the US, it never happens.
0: Mm. So, yeah. And then we we have a lot of the usual crap, I suppose. The the whole the whole lone wolf thing, which I, I'm seeing more and more pushback against that, the idea that no, these people are not bloody lone wolves. They may they may have planned and and acted on their own in the event, but they are part of a society that feed off each other and as 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 he explicitly says, inspire one another. So the or the mental illness, of course, uh comes up, I think. People have have um immediately start pointed out the numerous times um Tucker Carlson of Fox News um, has talked about the sorts of theories that appear to have motivated <coughs> the shooter, theories that we'll be talking about in a moment. Now, I saw Tucker Carlson, saw a clip from his show just today, I think, or it might have been yesterday, basically doubling down and and saying, no, none of what they're saying is true and everything I'm saying is true, and, and started playing the, the mental illness card instantly. so long oh, because one mentally ill teenager does this thing, then we all need to whatever, and I don't wasn't even aware anyone has actually officially in any way claimed mental illness on the guy's part unless you want to say that anyone performing a mass shooting is mentally ill by definition, which kind of undercuts the idea that it's a false flag. Which is a very make problematic move to make. Mm. Mm. Oh, very much so. Well, yeah, there's there's nothing not un, uh, problematic about uh, the, the Tucker Carlson style of take on things. What else is there to say about conspiracy theories well you get the really weak
1: source the really really weak source uh response to these things which is oh but i mean black people kill white people you know and you go
0: "Mm, i mean this is the kind of thing
1: which is it turns out that when african americans kill anyone particularly if that killing involves a and when we're no longer a video podcast, but I'm going to say when I put the scare quotes around "white people" here, as if there's a homogeneous white pe- white people out there. Whenever African Americans kill white people, people like Alex Jones will allege that the motivation is some kind of systemic racial animus—the idea that they hate us. But when a white person kills anyone else who isn't white, Suddenly, it's a lone wolf act with no context necessary. They're they're mentally ill. They were acting on their own. There's nothing else to see here. And so there's this weird thing where people go, oh, but black people kill people too, you know. It's a case of, I mean, no one's denying that murders and attacks happen cross ethnicities. The thing is, it turns out that we only seem to think that one type is bad. And the other one, we seem to go to an awful long length to go. Oh no, no, no! It's a it's a one-off event. It's certainly not related to all the other one-off events of the same type we've seen recently.
0: Mm. I think other people have tried to claim it's not 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 white supremacism or not about race because he chose, according to the Lee Manifesto, the location or well, chose Buffalo at least due to the gun laws. In New York State, and they're saying, "Oh, see, it wasn't it wasn't racially motivated. That's how he picked his target." But I'm pretty sure uh, the, the manifesto covers this sort of thing. But I'm I'm pretty sure it it, it could be both, could very easily. Yeah, and be I right. mean, there were numerous locations in that area that uh, were not uh, frequented mainly by African Americans.
1: Yeah, and if it if it was really only location he chose, you do have to ask, why did he spend so many pages in the manifesto? Talking about how the Jewish race is evil, but we need to kill off the super fertile blacks first, and then go after the Jews.
0: Yes, which of course is getting into the main theory, the the, the animating theory behind all of this, which these days seems to go by the name of the Great Replacement. Um, great Replacement is kind of a newer term for quite an old old conspiracy theory. Um, it's one of those cases as we'll see it. We, we've we've there has been and we have talked about the whole sort of white genocide conspiracy theory that's been around for quite a long time the idea that by whatever means the white race is in danger of becoming extinct being bred out of existence or or or, or straight out genocided out of existence and the great replacement kind of started as sort of a specific subcity bit of that but i think these days the term has morphed to just become Come kind of an umbrella term about the whole thing, so that now Great Replacement and white genocide, white extinction are pretty much synonymous. It's an idea, of course, that people these days seem to mostly cons- be concerned with immigration. There's been you know ideas of race war and stuff like that in the past, but these days it's mostly about immigration. Demographic change is going to result in non-white populations displacing white populations in countries that have majority white populations. And this becomes a conspiracy theory, of course, when, you get the, when they bring in the idea that certain elites are actually engineering this situation. That, you know, say, in, in the States, the claim made by Tucker Carlson and other white supremacists is that the, the, the Democratic Party is deliberately engineering immigration policy so as to let in a whole bunch of, of non-white people to di- replace slash displace the white population. Often, one reaction which people have, which I've seen many times come up, is, why if say this is true, why would that be a problem? And you know, so you think white people are going might become a minority? Oh, is that bad? Do we treat minorities badly? I thought uh, thought, thought 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 you said racism didn't exist and minorities have uh, exactly the same deal as everyone else. Else, that's a little bit odd. Hmm, that is a bit rum, isn't it? A little bit mm. of an inconsistency in their thoughts. You'll be surprised to learn that not all of the great replacement white supremacist theories are well thought out or rational. Shocking, I know.
1: Hmm. Mm. I'm going to need some working on that. And when I say I'm going to need some working on that, I'm being facetious because I actually don't need to see any work no. on that. I've seen enough working on that to mm. show that you are completely right. But at the same time, let's put our cards on the table and discuss the the history of this great replacement theory
0: yes so like i say the term great replacement is relatively new um, but and the theory 's been around in one form or another for quite a long time, um, so like the early early twentieth century eugenics theories like early 1900s, which we 've talked about a long time ago they were there were worries there about uh, about non whites supplanting white populations that the early eugenicist stuff wasn 't necessarily overtly conspiratorial because there's always been the these These very sort of racist or classist stereotypes about about other races or the lower classes that they all breed like rabbits there there, there is there's a this certain sort of breed certain subspecies of of racist stereotype that says the these certain people the, the women are all promiscuous the men are all rapacious they just can't stop having children they, they it's it's in their it's in their animalistic nature and so so in these earlier cases it's like just by their nature, these populations will out-reproduce us unless we do something about it. That, that's a conspiracy theory that's still around, and we'll see when we get them to the manifesto elements of that that that, that attitude, that stereotype, still show up.
1: What's interesting about kind of the early twentieth century eugenic theories of this type? So they are also the the ableist eugenic theories of the early twentieth century as well. That you know we need to get rid of disabled people in our society. But early twentieth century eugenics of the racist type. As you say, they weren't conspiratorial because people were being overtly racist about this. There was no hidden motivation here. They were simply saying these people are not as good as white people and we should do something about it. What's interesting about the Great Replacement Theory now is that the racism is often encoded or coded in such a way that it's not meant to be overtly racist. You're simply meant to recognise the dog whistle that, you know, immigration is changing our society oh but what kind of society do we live in oh we live in a white christian identity society and there's something precious about preserving that and obviously when you think about it the introduction of non-white non-christian people into that society would be a bad thing and oh we've There's an old term we used to use for that, which is, oh, race. Yes, there are certain races who are infiltrating our society, but I never said race was the issue. I said it Mm. was about protecting our white Christian identity.
0: Heritage, yes, yes. Um, And then, (coughs) excuse me, still got a little bit of that COVID around. Just can't quite shake this cough. So... Eugenics obviously fell quite strongly out of favour following World War Two when the Nazis got their hands on it and sort of showed where it could really lead the Nazis themselves part part of the Nazi propaganda. Um, involved concerns about the white, the, the Aryan race, dying out and being replaced by these other races that they wanted to get rid of. I saw a comment just the other day in reference to this case and the Great Replacement Theory that uh, the Rwandan genocide in 1994 was remarkable for the fact that you had the, the, the Hutu government actually going on the radio and telling its citizens, you need to get out there and kill all the Tutsis. And one of the things they said was that they had... They had these plans. They, they wanted to kick you out. They wanted to replace you, so you need to kill them before they do that. It was sort of used there i had a quick look at the Rwandan genocide. I don't read anything about the Rwandan genocide. Honestly, it's one of the most, one of the most nightmarish situations uh, to, 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 to ever occur. But uh, the Mantienes Bagasora, the Hutu government leader who was supposedly the mastermind of this genocide, was found not guilty of conspiracy to commit genocide. He was found guilty of genocide, wasn't found guilty of conspiracy to commit genocide because they reckoned they couldn't prove that he had conspired. It's funny how these things work. Anyway, that's a side point. A little bit closer, oh, actually, uh, one year closer to the present day, nineteen ninety-five. American neo-Nazi David Lane wrote his white genocide manifesto, and I think, am I right in thinking that's where the term white genocide really got its, really became popularized?
1: I feel I should know this, and I think you're right, but in I case you're wrong, the... I'm just going to go maybe.
0: Mm. So anyway, so that that was that was a big. A big moment in the white genocide conspiracy theory, but um, it's not until 2011 that the term "Great Replacement" became popularised by a French author, Renaud Camus, who wrote a book called The Great Replacement, Le Grand Remplacement. And so, I believe the term "Great Replacement" I don't think he invented it, but like like most people, you sort of there'll be a term that maybe has come up before, but then one person will actually popularise and be responsible for it actually getting out there into the wide world. So he like I book. did with the terms particularism and
1: gen- and generalism. They, they are my terms, but I'm nope. the person who who
0: pushed Brought it them into on the, literature. the rest
1: of the literature.
0: Mm. So this is a book. He said it, he said it was inspired by things such as uh, British politician Enoch Powell's famous Rivers of Blood speech, the anti-immigrant speech he gave in the nineteen sixties. Um, now, like I said, The Great Replacement originally was more specific. These days, it's basically synonymous with the whole white genocide conspiracy theory. But the, the book, The Great Replacement, was specific to France. He was talking about the situation that is going on in France in 2011. So he's, he's worried about immigration um, changing the demographic makeup of French society, and it's going to result in uh, white French people being replaced by um, other, other immigrants, immigrants of other races.
1: And, I mean, France is a really interesting example here because they are, I'm about to use the word precious here, and it may not be the right term, but mm. they're very precious about conserving their cultures. So they, mm. they don't want their language to be ameliorated. So they, they by the an introduction actual, official of, language yeah, academy
0: that looks yeah, Of the,
1: the 100 immortals, mm. and they're very concerned by making sure that if a food has a French name, it comes from a particular region in france which is why i've got all those you know it's, it's not sparkly, sparkling. Yeah. yeah it's not sparkling racism unless it comes from the racist region of france and they also have very strict rules about codes of dress so the idea of particular religious symbols being prohibited in public places which includes christian symbols as well but it does seem like most of the laws are predominantly aimed towards Muslim immigrants, forcing them to integrate into a Catholic-like French society. So it's kind of, it makes sense that Camus, in the sense, is interested in the changing nature of French society because French society itself is very interested in maintaining its status quo and not being affected by the fact that France is still a colonial power. So the issue with France isn't just immigration. The issue with France is it has holdings in Africa. It has holdings in the Pacific. And France would like those parts of the world to be French rather than hold their local indigenous identity. And so France is in this really weird crossroads of preserving itself whilst maintaining colonial work overseas and also being part of the EU, which allows immigration to occur and travel across borders with ease.
0: Mm. So the book, The Great Replacement, it uses a lot of World War Two imagery, lot of lots of sort of allusions to the French Resistance. The um, the the it refers to the immigrants as being occupiers. Refers to the quote unquote replacist elites. These are, as we talked about, when you get into a conspiracy theory with the idea that you have certain elites are actually engineering the situation. These, in this case, he, he compares them to collaborators in World War Two. He compares himself and the people his, who who um, believe the same things he's doing as being like the French Resistance. I even goes so far as to refer as to compare the the white quote-unquote genocide that's trying that's being engineered in France to the genocide suffered by the Jews in World War II. Which, yeah, that's if 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 you're gonna make an analogy, I, I posit that's not the one to make. Now, it to, to begin with, one thing that did distinguish the Great Replacement um conspiracy theory with the wider white genocide theories is that the Great Replacement at least Initially, did not did not appear to include any sort of anti-Semitic aspect because the white genocide theories all tend to be very anti-Semitic along with their general racism. The as as you say, the kind of immigration that tended to concern people and still does in France is Muslim into, uh, immigration. So the, the that, that, that sort of distinguishes it to begin with. But then, as I say, the term has become used more and more widely to cover the whole thing. So these days, I think any theory. Any, any, the terms white genocide and great replacement tend to be synonymous, as you can see by the fact that the, the protests in Charlottesville just a few years later had people chanting, Jews will not replace us. You're already talking about replacement and Jews in the same breath. Interesting to note that Camus himself claims that his philosophy is a nonviolent philosophy and that he, he, he disapproved of any sort of white nationalist violence. But as people have said, it's kind of hard to see how else he expects people to respond to his book of saying that there is there is an existential threat to French society that's being that's a deliberate act by certain factions within society. It's like what what do you expect people to do about that if they genuinely believe it, other than take action? And you've made it sound desperate enough that that really only violent action was going to um going to have any sort of an effect. So people have kind of, he, well, 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 he officially officially says he does not condone white nationalist violence. White nationalist violence do, does, has no problems appealing to the sorts of theories that he puts forwards. Now, Great Replacement, of course, is something that, that has made reference to by the, um, the shooter in Christchurch, by the uh, notable the, the mass shooting in El Paso. The year later, in 2019, the Buffalo Shooter also refers specifically to this theory. And as we said before, the Buffalo Shooter refers explicitly to the Christchurch Shooter, doesn't he? As as a major, what's, what's the word I'm looking for? Inspiration. Inspiration. Thank you. I don't know why that one wouldn't come out. Major inspiration of his own manifesto and, of course, his own actions. So maybe it's time to talk about the manifesto. Yes, a manifesto so- that you really... Can't admit to well, knowing no. much
1: about, can you?
0: No, that's the thing. So you may recall, the Christchurch Shooters Manifesto is classed as objectionable information in New Zealand, so it's illegal to own or distribute. It sort of puts it in the same category as like child pornography or what have you. Unless you have a dispensation. Yes. So you yourself applied for and was granted a dispensation to to read. Um, the Shooters Manifesto, and initially I was going to say, so did you have to do the? Have you looked at the manifesto? Did you have to get a dispensation? But then I remembered, hang on, you're not actually in New Zealand anymore. So did you have to do anything to get you? Yeah, you know, did, did you have to jump through any hoops, or was it simply a matter of looking for it and finding it?
1: I, I mean, I actually don't know whether there's any classification of it here
0: in. Oh, sorry, I should also. I should also say the Buffalo Shooters manifesto immediately was sort of provisionally classed as objectionable material, the same as the Christchurch Shooters. They sort of did that straight away, and maybe review it later. But given that what I understand, it seems to be of a kind. I can't imagine that.
1: Yeah, um, I mean, even though our chief censor is has stepped down and we have an interim chief censor now, so maybe things might be different. I can't see that this particular manifesto being not that different from the Christchurch one will be classified in any different way to the Christchurch one. No, uh, so finding it was initially difficult. It turns out that putting the word Buffalo manifesto into a search engine got you nothing whatsoever because the big search engines and social media have been doing their best, and I'm, putting, I'm going to put an asterisk beside that because I'm going to criticise this in a minute, to make sure the information doesn't spread. A friend of mine did try to send me a copy of the manifesto, but it was sent using an online platform that immediately recognised it as objectionable material and said, no, you can't share this particular document. But because I was able to see what the file name was, I was then able to go to DuckDuckGo, put the file name into the search engine, and the first hit I got was a full copy of the manifesto, which kind of goes to show that if you've got enough information, you can still find the stuff online. And surely, if there's a common file name to an objectionable piece of material, that is something you block from the outset. So on one level, well done, search engines for making it relatively difficult to find the material with a cursory search but if people know what they're looking for it's actually trivially easy to locate this manifesto online
0: Mm. so as i say it would be illegal for me to um have a copy of it here in new zealand and so i have not read it in any way and frankly don't care to but luckily for me i have you who have read the whole thing so yes all 180
1: pages all mm -hmm. 100 and eighty mostly boring pages for reasons I'll get into.
0: Yeah. So what I have heard about the manifesto is that um, a it refers strongly to uh, the Christchurch shooter. B the the shooter refers to being basically radicalized over the internet. C it's very very long. And D like the Christchurch shooter's manifesto, it's full of memes and sort of four chan bollocks. Uh, when it's not full of boring technical detail. Yeah, although,
1: and this is going to be a weird thing for me to say, the memes in the Christchurch Shooters Manifesto were more interesting than the use of memes in the Buffalo Shooters Manifesto because it's kind of perfunctory the way the memes are used in the Buffalo Shooters Manifesto. It's almost as if he expected that people wanted memes so it has a large chunk of text and they go oh, and here's three pages of memes for you to look at as well. Well, the so Christchurch shooter kind of integrated the memes into the text. Now, this is a very w- weird complaint to have about a terrorist manifesto, I realize, but at the same time... You take whatever, and I'm using it in quotes here, joy you can get from reading something where you can get it when you're reading dismal and dire
0: material. Mm. So then, what are your? G- give us your notes. What what did you take from this manifesto? Okay, so the things we've already talked about. It's 180 pages in
1: length, and 100 of those pages is the how-to guide for committing a massacre. There's quite a bit of discussion in the text as to why he chose that particular convenience store and why attacking at a particular time was the best time. So it does make the crime incredibly premeditated. There's no spare of the moment thing. This is, no, I'm putting this manifesto online because I'm going to do this particular act. I'm going to state where it's going to occur and approximately when it's going to occur, given he said it would be at 4 p.m. when actually it turned out to be two hours earlier. He does talk a lot about how New York State would be a great place for a massacre due to its relatively, in comparison to the rest of the United States, highly regulated gun laws. And most of that is a discussion as to why he thinks he's going to survive the massacre. So with the highly regulated gun laws in New York, he thinks it's more than likely that he will not die during the process of this massacre, which is why he talks about how he's going to plead guilty, serve time in prison, and hope that the Great Revolution occurs whilst he's in prison, so he can then be released as a hero to his people. As we now know, he's pled not guilty, so has changed his mind about this, We'd be quite curious to know whether he changed his mind or whether his representation encouraged him to change his mind, but that part of the story is no longer accurate. As I said, a goodly portion of the remaining work are images, mostly memes put in in a kind of perfunctory fashion, and screenshots of news stories, and a lot, and I mean an awful lot, of -of out-of-context graphs, which I was particularly aware of given I'm teaching a critical thinking course at the moment and going, I mean, I know what you're trying to say with this graph, but without any context, that's just a meaningless image like the rest of your text. So why I'm picking him for that, I don't know. Uh, To say that his evidence is cherry-picked is actually do a disservice to the notion of people who go around doing excellent cherry-picking of stories. It's not so much cherry-picking of evidence. It's a hodgepodge of things I've read online that confirm my bi- biases. It's just it's just a lot of data unsor- unsorted, which, to the author's mind, presents a narrative.
0: Mm. Yeah, you said about the Christchurch one, a lot of it assumed you sort of read read 4chan and therefore actually understood what appeared to be otherwise sort of random non-sequiturs and so on. I I assume this one also assumes... it's It's written in such a way that it assumes you already know what he's talking about. Yeah, although there's a kind of weirdness to this. So the
1: Christchurch terrorist we know was interacting with people online in communications... And there seems to be less evidence of the Buffalo Shooter actually engaging with other people. So one of the things which has come out post the massacre is that he had a Discord server where he was openly musing about committing a terrorist act on that server. But as far as we know, he was talking to himself on that server. There don't appear to be other users on it. So the Christchurch terrorist He appeared to have had interactions with people, particularly on boards like 4chan and the like. And so the way that he integrated memes and things like that into his manifesto seems very much evidence of this is how I talk online. Well, the Buffalo shooter seems to be much more isolated from communication with people on these platforms and thus knows you're meant to put these memes in but they're put in in a way of its form but there's not any particular function to them they're not playing a particularly strong role in the kind of narrative he wants to bring forward and i realize i'm engaging in folk psychology here but it just seems to be that there's a difference in the kind of character behind the writers of these texts and that i mean that comes across in the really focused way that most of the text is a complaint about the guns and armour he chose. We'll get to that in just a minute. So let's actually talk about his, his background. He paints himself very much as an ordinary person who, during lockdowns in the pandemic, learnt that his race, the, "end quotes, white race, was being replaced. And he's very much the product of doing his own research by reading threads
0: on 4chan. Well, there's a worrisome claim right off the top of the off the top of the bat.
1: Yeah, there's a very interesting work by Neil Le- Levy, which is actually a chapter in his book Bad Beliefs about how doing your own research actually really can send you in very bad directions, given the socially constituted nature of knowledge. The idea that individuals can get to grips with complex claims really doesn't make any sense unless part of getting to grips with complex claims is being situated in a society and understanding how the levers of the information economy actually works. And so the idea that someone on his own during a lockdown was reading threads on 4chan and came to this realisation by doing his own research does seem to be some evidence of Levy's hypothesis here that kind of individualized epistemology really probably isn't a very good idea. And of course, this leads into the the brief discussion we had earlier about the claims he's a lone wolf. So he, on his own, came to this conclusion that his race is being replaced. And it was that realization that inspired him to commit this atrocity. So it's a lone wolf actor influenced by information online but not part of a community and of course that's that's a complicated claim to unpack there because the idea that there are these communities out there promoting these views and and inculcating people into them means we're not really talking about lone wolves even if he wants to make the claim he wasn't involved in a conspiracy a concerted conspiracy of people plotting together for this massacre. The influence on his views is something which still does need to be talked about. And yet many people want to put it to one side because then you'd have a very awkward discussion of what is going on in these communities.
0: Hmm.
1: So what else does he say about himself then? So he's not a Christian. He claims to be a non-believer, but he is pro-Christian values as they are the basis
0: for white culture. Hmm. Interesting to hear where he thinks white culture comes from, but I think we'll get to that.
1: He's also clearly an anti-Semite and clearly a transphobe. He seems to be okay with other queer identities as long as they don't get in his face, but he's very specific on saying that trans people are mentally
0: ill. Mm-hmm. That's... I don't know what to say about that. It, it it's, it's, seems to be tangential, I guess, to the white supremacist stuff, and yet I'm not surprised to hear it there.
1: No, no. Mm. Now, one thing which I wasn't aware of, he claims, because he spends a large section of the text, having just committed to massacring as many African-Americans as possible, he spends a large section of the text talking about how evil the Jewish race is. And one thing which I wasn't aware of, and I don't know whether you're aware of this, Josh, but apparently the Jewish people are the descendants of eight of Homo sapiens neanderthalis. Uh, I can never say neanderthalent.
0: Mm. No, that's that's a new one on me. Actually, I did. I saw it. I think it was somebody had reproduced one of the graphs from his manifesto or something, which seemed to be showing something about Jewish genetics and suggesting that they have different genetics from other european people or something but you're yeah, actually descended of, of, from neanderthals that's a, that's an interest although yeah don't we think like a good a good 10 or more percent of the population is has neanderthal dna in them anyway well, or is I it mean, all of us we, 15% of the yeah. total DNA?
1: I figured how it works. We believe that. I'm not quite sure that he does. Well,
0: no. Now, there's, no, a, no.
1: there's a big discussion in the text about how identity is both ethnic and cultural. So you're only white if you are ethnically white. So you come from a white nation and you are culturally white. You act in a, in a white way. So you can't be black British and culturally white. Even if your family has been in the UK for 400 years, your non-white ethnicity means you can never be white. In the same respect, a white person born in a white country who gives up on white culture stops being white. So he has this very clear idea that white culture requires an ethnic basis and a cultural basis, and the two must be present at all times. Which is interesting I mean, apart for the fact that it's a really weird racist view, it's also interesting because he he then talks about how anyone who acts Jewish turns out to be a Jew. So Jeff Bezos is neither ethnically Jewish nor culturally Jewish under his view, but he acts in a Jewish way and therefore is a Jew. Mm-hmm. So it turns out that you don't have to be ethnically you can be ethnically white and I would say culturally white because Jeff Bezos is as culturally white as you can possibly get as a capitalist. But as if you don't like them under the terrorist view, then you can simply label them as the Jew. That's yeah,
0: I mean I'm not in any way surprised at how illog- illogical and inconsistent that is but that is quite illogical and inconsistent there was the big discussion a few years ago wasn't there about cultural christianity in britain people yeah richard dawkins is a big fan mm, of being culturally christian
1: even people, though he's not a believer
0: yeah talking in the sense of saying they, they put their religion down as christian despite the fact that they're not in any way religious but because they believe they are culturally christian i, I we've said this before i can't remember how recently it's been but in a way, some of these white supremacists are kind of proving themselves right about the diminishing white race. But, they do, but the, the white race, race is becoming smaller and smaller simply because they're becoming pickier and pickier about who counts as a white person. But so, okay, where are we? He doesn't like Jewish people. He doesn't like trans people. But he, he is, does. He, he does have a solution, though, to the Jewish problem. Uh, other people have had solutions to the jewish problem and that didn't work out very well what was his so he thinks
1: one so he thinks that we have to we have to wipe out the super fertile colored people first because they're the direct threat because they're the ones who are going to
0: outbreed
1: us so there's a kind of both an immigration and fertility route to his great replacement hypothesis but he feels that the people who are funding these super breeders are the jewish people So he thinks the best way to defeat the Jewish people long-term is to deny them access to economic power. And this is a very interesting solution, because if you know anything about history, one of the root causes for systemic anti-Semitism amongst Europeans is the idea that because Good Christians were not meant to engage in money lending. So usury, which I can never say properly. Usury? Usury. Usury. Usury.
0: Usury.
1: Usury. I can't can't pronounce it properly unless I'm drunk. Usury was something that good Christians were not meant to engage in. And so it fell upon the non-Christian part of the population to engage in that dirty business of money lending which it then turned out that actually being involved in money lending, banking and the like is actually a very effective way to gain economic power in a society as we see with the 1% now. It turns out that holding wealth and controlling wealth and apportioning wealth is actually a very good way to remain wealthy. So it was the act of the European, God, I sound like I'm engaging in political Dialectics. Out. it was the act of the European which caused the problem to emerge. It was the pro- the Jewish problem, and I'm putting that in scare quotes again, even though I know that no one can see my hands. Was a creation of European decisions, and then regretting those decisions. You know, oh, actually, the Jews must have planned this in the first place. It was part of their dastardly plan, as opposed to recognizing, no, we we made some big mistakes along the way. We're not willing to take responsibility. And yet it seems that the Buffalo shooter wants to do exactly the same thing. And it just speaks to how ahistorical this manifesto is. This person knows nothing about history and what brought us to our current societal moment here, which means he he keeps on reinventing the causes of the issues that he claims he's trying to fix.
0: I mean... And I could say this in response to basically any claim uh, made in this manifesto. What a dick. Yeah. Mm.
1: Yeah. He also hates the idea of virtual relationships, particularly pornography, which is kind of unusual since he got radicalized online on 4chan. Mm. So apparently virtual relationships are bad. You mean virtual personal
0: romantic relationships or... Yeah, OnlyFans,
1: just... porn, and the like. But it's a case of you don't like online stuff when it's sexual in nature, but when it's dismally political, apparently that's fine.
0: Mm. Okay. Now the gun control business. So as we said before, he he himself thought that this was going to trigger gun control, which you would normally think a person on the political right would be against. But much like your 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 other acceleration, much like old oh, bloody um, who's, who was who's crazy Swastika face Charles Manson, thought that, that that it was that this is an accelerationist thing and it's, mm. it's actually going to Acoming provoke a war. Yeah. it's going to Acoming provoke a war. war. So by by forcing the Democrats to do this thing that he knows his side is going to hate, he's actually he, he thinks he's working towards um some sort of a some sort of a race war. So so what do you, he he thought the time scale of it would be such that it could he be all done and dusted by the time he gets out of prison.
1: Well, yes. I mean, he's expecting that he'll be in prison, the race war will occur, and then he'll be released early. So he'll be disappointed if he spends the entire time in prison and he comes out and nothing has changed. So yes, he's an accelerationist. He thinks this is going to bring about the coming race war and also gun law reform in the U.S., it is kind of unusual when people think that these mass shootings are going to bring about gun law reform in the US, because we've been talking about that a lot. This show mm. has been going for seven years now, and every single time a mass shooting occurs, people say, this is it. Actually, actually is sorry, happening. sorry.
0: You said this podcast has been going for seven years. As of tomorrow, that's eight years. How bum, old are we? Bum, bum. Anyway. Far
1: too old. Mm. Far, far too I mean, it's... Almost a decade of this podcast, and mm. what do we have, 300 listeners? I mean, looking good. It's all worth actually, it. I, we, we have 300 listeners on Podbean. I actually don't know what that means for the syndicated stuff, but Podbean-wise, mm. 300 listeners after after eight years. Well done, us. Well, well done, us. us. We, we yeah. deserve cake. I think so. We used to have 800 listeners on Podbean many years ago. So, you know.
0: Sometimes. times.
1: Yep. Yeah. Good, good times. times, good times. So there are other things. So he's, as I say, he, it's a very ahistorical text. He he thinks that immigration and integration is something relatively new and thus a horrible thing. So he thinks that our ancestors fought for segregation and living life separately. And all I can say to that is he would be horrified at the Roman Empire. He would find the Roman Empire to be horrific. Because the Romans not only kept on bringing more people in, they also kept on bringing people into the city of Rome. They were all about just accumulating as much mass as possible.
0: So, yeah, it has always been one of the contradictions of white supremacy, hasn't it? The idea that that modern day, or at least relatively recently, Italians and Greeks are sort of swarthy, olive skinned non whites, and yet ancient Italians and ancient Greeks form the, 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 the very underpinning of white civilization.
1: Yeah, yeah, and it just doesn't, I mean, yes, there have been enclaves of racial segregation in Europe over the last 2,000 years, but there's also been an awful lot of people just getting along and living in the same space. Mm. As people like to point out, the very concept of race is a relatively new invention in human society. It doesn't get talked about until two or 300 years ago. The idea of race as a dividing factor between me and you is something which is relatively new. And sure, there were probably inklings of that idea earlier in history, but the kind of racism that we're tackling now is something which is very, very different. Now, of course, that again gets us to the Dante he has to do about the fact that as a white person, he lives in a colonized space because he's not living... In Italy, where his ancestors came from, he's living in America. And he takes it that, yes, it's true, America was colonized by white people, but apparently they've lived long enough in the US now that it qualifies as a white space. And to that, I have to say, given the slave trade and the history of slavery, surely that also applies to the African Americans too, because They've been living there as long as the white people have, and yet somehow it's a white nation and not a white and African-American nation. And that's just leaving to one side the absurdity of claiming that living there for a few hundred years compared to the indigenous people living there for thousands of, in, in our Aotearoa case, tens to hundreds of thousands of years in the American case. Living there for a short amount of time gives you the right to say, oh, no, no, it's our house now.
0: Mm. Yes. I mean, again, illogical, ahistorical, no massive surprise there. And but what is mm. so, so you said before, so again, this was sort of something that was leading to. He, he, goes, he goes on and on and on about the Jewish people and religion and so on, and yet... Those weren't the people he targeted. He targeted African-Americans. But as you say, so l- like I said before, that, that, that centuries-old eugenics stereotype of the black people are the ones who are constantly at it like rabbits is kind of behind his idea that he's got to go after them first because they're the ones who are actually breeding out of control, even though the Jews are the masterminds behind it all.
1: Yeah, so the Jewish people are the puppet masters, or when I wrote up the original notes for this episode, the puppet masters because it turns out one typo brings you a completely new conspiracy theory there. Mm. But he feels that we can't deal with the systemic puppet master issue until we get rid of the outbreeding issue of these damned immigrants and the problems they're giving to American society, society, which is why he's targeting African-Americans here, whilst he actually spends most of the text talking about the evil of the Jewish race. Mm. So, anything
0: else to say? Is, is, is that is that it ends, or is there any more to it? So, there's one
1: thing we should talk talk about, and that's the fact he's really quite keen on killing children.
0: He's keen on killing children, or keen on justifying killing children?
1: I have a feeling it's a little bit of both. Yeah. So, he does talk about the fact that he'll be willing to kill children as part of his crusade, and I'm using that term quite specifically here, even though he's not mm. Christian himself. He's got a a pro-Crusade Christian value going on on here. And his claim is that, look, you might think it's disgusting killing children because children are innocents. But his argument is, look, children grow up to be adults. So children grow up to be criminals long term. And any invader is a criminal. So a child is a potential adult. As a potential adult, they are an invader immigrant of the country, and so it's just much better to wipe them out now. Now, what makes this interesting to my mind is the fact that when he's talking about the, in quotes, evil of the Jew, he spends a little bit of time citing non-Torah works in the Jewish religious canon or the Jewish judicial canon, or actually I suppose it's really more juridical canon's a better way to discuss this. Talking about how there are in isolation a whole bunch of quotes which look pretty bad for Judaism. So the idea that you know you can kill the you can kill gore you can, you can engage in stealing from the Gentile, et cetera, et cetera. And you say, look, this shows that Judaism is at its heart an evil religion because these are the kind of dictates that Jewish people have been told about. And they will claim that these, these instructions or guidelines no longer apply now. But we know at heart this shows you that Judaism is evil. And once again, because he knows nothing about history, he doesn't understand the context of these commandments, claims, guidelines, strictures, and and the like. Because most of the texts he's referring to are texts that were written when the Jewish people were being oppressed by other particular people. And so these were basically guidelines for this is how our culture survives. And so these are instructions of, in a time of oppression, where we are being oppressed by a dominant majority, here are some things which you are allowed to do in that circumstance. And so his imagined oppression is leading him to a discussion as to why it's okay for him to kill kids. And then he's going, Well, oh, look, here are people who are actually oppressed who argued, and I'm using similar here once again in that scare quote way, because there's also an issue here about translation. You you cannot trust the translations he's relying upon. But even if we take those translations at face value, the context under which they were issued and had subsequently been retracted was one of being actually oppressed by dominant majorities that were trying to control or eliminate the Jewish people at that time. And so it just seems weird that he's gone to all this length to justify the atrocities he's going to commit. And he's going, this doesn't make me bad because I'm fighting for the rights of my diminishing race. And yet he takes it that people in a similar situation who actually were being oppressed and dominated at that time, that makes their entire ethos.
0: Hmm. Once again, the logical and inconsistent kel surprise. And not just a bit
1: of a dick. I think we mm. could actually use the c word there—a
0: complete dick.
1: Yeah. What? Yes. Yes. Mm. A complete dick. Yeah. Or a, an utter and manual
0: cunt. Indeed. So I see one last note. There's, there's a little bit of ecofascism just for just for a bit of flavour.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's the bit at the end where he goes, "Well, you know, I used to be a communist when I was younger, and now I'm more of a libertarian, and I think the environment is important." It it feels slightly tacked on as if well this was in the christchurch terrorist manifesto the eco-fascism thing and i i largely agree with that so i'm just going to put that bit at the end but it Mm. doesn't seem particularly central i mean most of the discussion is this is why jewish people are bad and why i should kill
0: some children Mm, lovely i think that's all i care to hear about this manifesto but um, just to, to lighten the mood slightly before we go out so there have been some conspiracy theories about the manifesto itself, I understand. Some quite um, quite Da Vinci code sort of conspiracy theories. Quite, like dare what? I say it. More Omega code conspiracy yes, theories. Yes, it. it's,
1: it's, it's very much the Bible code, but without mm. any Michael York. Oh. So, someone thinks, or at least some set of people think, that the manifesto contains coded messages along with the non coded outright anti Semitism. So, let me just read. A section of this ana- ana- analysis as we close today's discussion so the claimed name of the person is itself an anagram for pentagon Drony, which that's droney with a y at the end rather than an e which seems to mean pentagon drone i.e manchurian candidate sheep dipped control subject which i can only say oh, if only if only we hadn't slipped up and used a Y when we could have used an E. We could have made it really explicit that his name actually stands for Pentagon Drone.
0: Yes. So the the, the evil, evil global overlord, false flag artists, first of all, feel compelled to. Put a put a coded admission of guilt into the, in the form of this person's name, but then also can't spell, so they don't get the right. It, it, yeah, the, the, I I I'd really like to know how these people think that the the the, the, the these evil elites think, because someone there is getting things quite twisted.
1: Yeah, then let me continue with the high-calibre an- analysis we should expect from the person who discovered someone's name is Pentagon Drone. To begin, I converted the lines to the text blocks, eliminating special characters, spaces, etc. If you take this text and reorder the letters along the y-axis from top to bottom, you get letter sequences. For example, taking the first letter of each line gives you M-A-S-E-G-E-B-E-W-R. And if you take the second letter of each line, you get Y-S-O-T-M-U-N-A-E. If you put these two together, you get M-A-S-E-G-E-B-E-W-R-Y-S-O-T-M-U-N-A-E. These letters can be fed into an anagram word finder algorithm to pick out phrases that use the same letters. When you do this, you get the phrase BRUSA agreement from those letters with a few extra letters discussed.
0: We'll get into the, what the Brucer agreement is or isn't in a moment, but so this guy is saying, so if you take some of the letters in this document and rearrange them and throw some of them away, it can say something else. A claim that could be made of any document to say... Abs- any Any document that contains every letter in the English language could therefore be used to prove... Anything,
1: especially if you're allowed to remove Algorithm
0: from mm. finder
1: then yes, you're going to get Anything you like out of it. I mean you put a long enough string in and the works of Shakespeare are eventually Indeed. going to appear
0: mm-hmm. So what is the Bruce agreement is it an actual thing? So the Bruce agreement
1: is an actual thing I didn't actually write any notes on exactly what it is, but it it, it doesn't matter because mm. Even if it's a real thing, the process to finding the word Brucer agreement in a document the way they're doing it is meaningless. It is mm. absolutely meaningless. It's case so take some letters, put them in an arbitrary grid, then read letters along the X and the Y axis, put those into an algorithm finder, remove some letters so you get results, and suddenly you get words. Yes, so that's, that's, that is that's, completely
0: okay. meaningless.
1: I mean... Does a disservice to the pejorative of conspiracy theory if mm. this is the kind of analysis that you're going to use on a manifesto to show that actually the writer is a Manchurian candidate.
0: It reminds me, did you ever see Under the Silver Lake? No, I didn't Interesting, divisive, I, th- I don't know, some people say, some reviews were like it's absolute brilliance. In other films, like it's just idiotic garbage i I tended towards the idiotic garbage side of things, but it's all about secret messages and secret conspiracies and Andrew Garfield's character spends the entire film doing that sort of thing, but being right every time like okay well, here's 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 the lyrics of the song if i I can't even remember what he does he like it, it's it's more than just like taking the it's not like taking the first letter of each word, it's like taking each word. The, the gaps between words, and oh, I can't, and, and make it, turns it into more, I don't know, it's really convoluted stuff with no no, 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 no sort of justification for doing it. It's just he's decided that that's how he's going to try and rearrange these things, and yet in the film, every time he does that, he's exactly right, and it does indeed come up with a hidden message that tells him um, exactly where to go next. So maybe this person's read a lot, uh, What we're a bit, big fan of Under the Silver Lake. Maybe it's
1: the scriptwriter.
0: Maybe it is. Oh, mm. no, but yeah. I only, think if, if
1: only we had an, Algr- an, an anagram finder to put to put Andrew Garfield's name in to see what that really means.
0: Mm. Yes. No. I think if you're going to go to this level of of just um, convoluted nonsense, and you don't involve Michael York introducing a technology that, that that gets rid of all nuclear weapons, you're wasting your time. Yeah. Speaking of wasting your time, we've probably done enough of that We have indeed, it's been a bumper episode It's been a bumper episode, lots to get through Um, So I think we better call things to a close But of course we will then go and record a bonus episode for our patrons Um, We're we're, going to do a combination I think of a bit more discussion of this And a bit more another um, checking in on the usual suspects thing To see exactly what the likes of your Alec Joneses and your David Ikes have been saying about this shooting, because last, last oh, we looked not, though, yeah. not much, yeah, yeah, mm. but um we'll go and double-check. Uh, so if you'd like to hear that, um sign up and become a patron by going to patreon.com and searching for The Podcaster's Guide to the Conspiracy, and if you've already done that, well then you're, you're, you're sorted, you're all set, you just go, it'll, it'll show up somehow, however you get your podcasts. And if you don't want to um, sign up and become a patron, well, you've already sat through a good, a good sort of two hours 45 of us. To, I mean, it might be a little bit less once he meditates down, um, of, of, of us rabbiting on about this thing. So, uh, uh, bless you, all the same, quite frankly. And uh, I don't think, I don't think that there's anything else for me to say except uh, in the long standing tradition, goodbye. Durango.
1: The podcaster's guide to the conspiracy is Josh Addison and me, Dr. M.R. Dentith. You can contact us at podcastconspiracy at gmail.com and please do consider
0: supporting the podcast via our Patreon.
1: And remember, they're coming to get you, Barbara.